good morning. And uh, if you're visiting for the first time, I, I'm not Pastor Adam. I, I'm just a couple years older than he is. And he, he'll be back next week as we celebrate uh, the risen Christ. Um, we're talking about, this week, we're talking about Exodus chapter 6, the last verse, chapter, uh, verse 28, through Exodus 7, verse 7. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, open up to that. Uh, if you don't have them, it'll be projected on the screen. Before I get to that, I've got to tell you about a dream that I had Friday night. I don't often remember my dreams, but this was a crazy one. Um, I, I was in an old green Subaru that our family used to have years ago in this dream, and it broke down, and somehow I got it to the mechanic, and uh, he had just come out and told me, uh, this engine's completely messed up. We've either got to rebuild it, or you've got to get another car, and it was really obvious I needed to get another car. Well, sometime while I was in the mechanic's office, uh, I met a guy uh, that, uh, oh, he, he was just a little different. I, I don't know, I couldn't put my finger on it. I mean, after all, it was a dream. Uh, but he heard this news, and I thought, well, I'm not going to put any more money in this car. Uh, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. And he came up to me, because we'd been talking for a while, and he said, listen, I've got a motorcycle that you can use for as long as you need until you figure out what you're going to do. And I thought, well, great. And then he said, it just got stranger, he said, uh, I, I've got a credit card that I want you to just take and use it as you need it. I, I know you're, you're away from your home, and just, just do what you need to do and get it done. And uh, I'm feeling more and more uncomfortable. It's like uh, when he offered the credit card, I'd already taken the motorcycle in my mind. But when he offered the credit card, it was like, uh, no, thank you. That, that's a little over the top. And I, I had this growing feeling. Well, it grew. He said, why don't, you, uh, why don't you come with me? My business is nearby, and we'll talk more. So I did, and he owned a sawmill and, uh, and a winery. Uh, don't ask me to explain. This is my dream, for heaven's sakes. Uh, and there's, there's cases of wine piled up, and there's nice freshly sawn lumber there. And below the main floor was where the sawmill was, where they put the big logs, and, and you know, the huge saw blade cuts them up. Uh, the, more, the more he's talking to me, and the more generous he gets, I'm thinking, this guy's with organized crime. <laughs> and this generosity, he's got an agenda. And he knows I'm a pastor, and you know how the mafia use priests and pastors to their advantage. This is going on in my dream, and I, th I woke up, I thought, what? Do uh, anyway, I, I thought, you know, he's, he's being all generous and nice, and there's going to come a day he's going to require something of me, and if I don't come through, I'm down in the sawmill getting chopped up. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? This was so real. This was so real. I woke up. This happens to me once in a while. I wake up from a dream, and I've got to talk myself down and say, oh, no, this wasn't real. I, I mean, I was just sweaty and like, 
just accepting the motorcycle, I'm already in too deep. This guy, I, you know, it's, it's going to be the end for me uh, in weeks to come. It was just such an uncomfortable feeling uh, when I felt like this guy was playing me. He had his own agenda, and his generosity wasn't what it seemed to be, and really uncomfortable. Uh, well, I, I've shared that. I sh told Vicki about it, and I, I told uh, uh, some other friends about it, and, and I thought... You know, this does relate to the sermon. <laughs> the, the question is, as we are, we're just kind of beginning to get into God delivering his people from the hand of the Egyptian government and out of their harsh slavery, and he's going to bring them into the land he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, and it got me to thinking, what the heck is God's agenda? Uh, why was he doing this deliverance? Why, why was he starting it? And, and then, of course, the Old Testament talks about another deliverance coming. And uh, what is God's agenda? Well, keep that question in mind as we go through our passage today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address that a little bit uh, after we cover the passage. If you'll look at uh, Exodus chapter 6, verse 28, and follow along with me. Let me put my glasses on. That's a good idea. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I'm of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And Moses said, the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Okay, we have in this passage, it is a, just a restatement of the promise uh, that is a little earlier in the chapter. Adam preached about it two weeks ago. Uh, it's just a summary. Uh, it's, it's like, um, here's the promise, here's what God told Moses to do, uh, here's what Moses told the people, uh, here was their response, and then you remember as kind of an interlude, it went in to the genealogy of Aaron and Moses, and uh, how that genealogy was saying, this Moses and this Aaron that were instruments of God in talking to Pharaoh, 
Uh, this is them. They are descendants of the family of Levi. Uh, this is all part of the promise of God to our forefathers. And God is working this out. Uh, and to the Western mind, I think also what was happening, as I look at that, is uh, the writer is saying, look at this is history. This is not a little make-believe tale. This is this particular Moses from this particular family, and this particular Aaron from this particular family, and God is working in and through them to keep his covenant promise. So, after that little interlude of the genealogy, it's like the author wants to say, well, okay, let's get back to the promise. Let's get back to what we were talking about. So he reviews. He says, all right, in restating the promise, let me tell you who the players are. And of course, they are the Lord, Yahweh, Moses, and Aaron. And it starts out, uh, and when he says, I am the Lord, he's saying, I am the self-existent one. I am the source of all life. I am the Lord of all lords. That's who I am. And he is speaking, if you can imagine, to Moses. And Moses doesn't feel worthy because he's not. And, and Moses apparently had a stutter or he was just uh, speaking was difficult for him. And he said, you know, how can a holy God and a perfect God use my stammering lips? They're unholy. They're just, uh, you know, how can you use me to speak to Pharaoh? The people didn't even listen to me. How will the strongest, most powerful leader in the world listen? And God, you remember, in his mercy, said, well, listen, uh, here's Aaron, your older brother, three years older, uh, let him speak for you. God was just really gracious. Uh, I think he could have turned the screws on Moses and had him go ahead and do it, but he didn't. He, he said, okay, let's, uh, let's use Aaron. Um, so Moses, just a regular guy, and... Um, you know what's always bothered me? And looking ahead, I'm assuming most of us are somewhat familiar uh, with the story of the Exodus. Uh, and you know there's all these plagues coming, ten plagues. Uh, have you ever wondered why in the world did Pharaoh keep giving audience to, to Moses and Aaron? Every time they show up, they've got more bad news. They were the leaders of the enslaved people, why didn't Pharaoh either just throw those two guys in prison or kill them? Uh, end of problem. No more spokesmen to deal with. Uh, I think maybe one of the reasons is here in, um, in verse 1. The Lord says to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. The interesting thing, the original language here doesn't say like God. It says, I've made you God to Pharaoh. I've made you God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. I think what that may imply is that the reason Pharaoh kept seeing Moses and Aaron and kept talking to them in spite of plague after plague after plague 
is God had said, I'm making you God to Pharaoh. And there's going to be a sense he's going to respect you. You are God to him in the sense, Moses, you're calling the shots, not Pharaoh. I, I can't come up with another reason that Pharaoh would listen to this guy. Uh, yeah, he was raised by a princess of a formal, former Pharaoh, but uh, it seems like God had his hand in this, saying, I'm going to make you God to Pharaoh. Uh, he may not listen to you, but he's going to respect you. And he's going to keep seeing you. He's not going to throw you in prison. I'm going to protect you in that way. Um, so here, here's the strategy. Here's a strategy, starting with verse 2. You shall speak all that I command you, Moses, and your brother Aaron shall tell, tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of the land. Next part of the strategy, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Really interesting. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Uh, here's the picture I get. And this is, um, I hope this is holy speculation. Um, it seems like God's strategy was, okay, we're going to request this of Pharaoh. We're, we're going to put on a plague here. And that plague is going to serve to harden Pharaoh and make him angry uh, at, at his slaves and his Moses and Aaron. And I'm going to do another plague, and Pharaoh is going to get harder. And I'm, as I harden his heart, I've got another plague up my sleeve. And I'm demonstrating more and more and more my power. Because he was not only interested in Pharaoh's response, but he's interested in the Egyptians' response in general. The general population, you know, sometimes presidents and kings and pharaohs don't represent their people well. Can you believe that? <laughs> uh, yes. And, uh, uh, but the people often pay for the pharaoh's decisions. But the people are experiencing all these plagues. We're kind of looking ahead, cheating. Uh, and they are seeing more and more and more, even though pharaoh isn't, that the God of these slaves is something else. He seems to be a God like no other gods we have. He follows through on all of his promises, and he's wreaking havoc in our country. So the strategy, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart so I can multiply my signs and wonders, and the people of Egypt, especially when I lay my hand on Egypt, uh, and it, in terrific judgment, and uh, bring my wrath and kill the firstborn of all the, all the people and all the animals. I'm going to lay my hand on them, and the king will be begging the people, the slaves, to leave. And when that happens, the Egyptians as a nation are going to know that I am the Lord. 
So that seems to be his strategy, and the result is he delivers his people. He comes through on the promise. We're looking ahead again. And, uh, and the people acknowledge, the Egyptians acknowledge, this is Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, and he means what he says. Uh, you may remember uh, from knowing uh, your, your Old Testament that when the uh, Hebrews left, the people just, what do you want? My gold, my silver, what do you want from our house? Uh, you want the Tupperware? Take it, it's yours. Uh, why would they do that? Uh, some fear, because it was a big group of people, maybe close to two million people, uh, plus livestock, but just maybe they were acknowledging these folks' God is the real God of heaven and earth, and what, the, what these people want, we're going to give them. So God, this was his little, God's little evangelism explosion program going on here. Did you ever think of that? God loves outsiders, and he will do anything to get their attention. If, if you're a first-time visitor today, uh, and you're kinda, you may be feeling like an outsider, uh, I'm here to tell you the God of the Scriptures will go to great measures to get your attention, just like he goes to great measures to get insiders' attention and draw us to himself. Uh, Well, I, I want to cover the last two verses. Uh, uh, they don't fit neatly uh, into my outline, but uh, they're really good. Uh, Moses and Aaron did so, it says. They did just as the Lord commanded them. The emphasis here, it says it twice. Moses and Aaron, they did exactly this. And then it says... They did what the Lord commanded. It's like, this is such good news. These leaders, these men of God, obeyed God exactly. How cool is that? Uh, it, it's just, God is so honored when his people finally hear what he's requiring and they, by his grace and mercy, do what he says. They do it. That's got an application to us. As God is showing you from his word, as his spirit works in your life, uh, uh, if you know him and he's making something crystal clear to you that he wants you to do, uh, please know that he is so honored uh, all the angels in heaven rejoice when you simply do what he says. It, it is a wonderful thing and a freeing thing. I, I know because I've done it a couple of times. It really is kind of neat. Uh, uh, but do, do you get it? If you're here and you don't yet know Christ, uh, you, you know what he commands of you? Because he, he loves outsiders. He says to you, won't you repent and believe? Won't you turn away from your demand of living life on your own terms 
and just surrender to me and live your life on the terms of your Creator. Turn away from your sin and run to me. Uh, and if you hear him say that, and, and your heart resonates with that, it means his spirit is at work, and all he asks is just to do what he commands. It's that simple. Well, uh, one more thought. Uh, isn't this last verse kind of interesting? Now, Moses was 80 years old. Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Where's that coming from? Uh, I think this is just shouting out the historicity of this story. It's saying, folks, this is this, is this Moses, this Aaron, and guess what? They were 80 years old and 83 years old. Real people, real ages, from the family of Levi, this really happened. They're just nailing it down for us. And by the way, uh, if you happen to be a gray-haired uh, attender of this church, uh, I was born this way, this is blonde, but <laughs> if, if you're a gray-headed person this morning, you know, Moses wrote Psalm 90, and in it he says, you know, men may live to 70, maybe if they're real strong to 80, uh, Moses wrote that, and I, I think when he hit 80, he might have been thinking, you know, I'm on my very last leg, and it's, it's time for retirement, and God's sort of finished with me. And lo and behold, Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, called him to the riskiest, most important venture of his life at 80, and Aaron was 83. Uh, you know, there's not a, a rock-solid principle that comes out of this, but I think we could conclude, just maybe, uh, just maybe, we who are of older age may be way more useful to God than we ever dreamed of. And just maybe, He's got something in mind that's the riskiest thing you've ever had to do in your entire life. And just maybe you've got things to do for him yet that are going to make a huge impact in the kingdom of God. Imagine that. If he can use younger folks like you, maybe he can use older folks like us. Amen? Uh, I just threw that in absolutely free. Now, uh, the next point on the outline is, so what difference does all this make? Uh, what difference? Uh, I'll tell you one thing. Our God, the God of the Scriptures, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, one thing we know for sure, He loves to make promises to His people. And He loves to have His people count on them and find their hope in what is to come. He loves that. Uh, what's his agenda? Uh, my friend whose name I never caught, my mafia friend in the dream, he had a real agenda and it wasn't for my benefit. What's God's agenda? And how, how will it benefit his people? Uh, his agenda seems to be this. 
Well, I, I'm not even going to tell you. About 1,300 years after the Exodus, roughly, uh, Jesus is born of a virgin, uh, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which he wasn't called Emmanuel, but he was God with us. Some very unusual circumstances surrounding his birth. And um, he comes on the scene, and as he started his ministry, uh, I, want, I want us to hear from Jesus what God's agenda is uh, at the beginning of his ministry and at the end. Uh, first, Luke chapter 4. Uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, Jesus uh, goes to the synagogue every Sabbath, as was his custom, and it was his turn to be the reader uh, that particular week. And it says, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And imagine, okay, you're in the synagogue right now, and Jesus is up here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. I wonder if Jesus looked up as he read. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe he had it all memorized. But uh, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now get, the, get those next lines. And he rolled up the scroll... He gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. If I had a seat up here, I could sit down. And it says all the eyes of the synagogue were just glued on him. And here's how he began. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. They all knew who this scripture referred to, the coming one the anointed one, the Messiah that was to come and bring a deliverance that would make the exodus look tiny. All of them in the synagogue knew who this was referring to. And Jesus reads it and says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Uh, do you want him to be any clearer of what he's saying? Uh, this is God's agenda at the very beginning of his ministry, and I am he. Toward the end of his ministry, what we celebrate today as Palm Sunday, uh, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He told his disciples, go get this for me. Yeah, he's, he's on the donkey. Uh, he's going into town, uh, and people... Jesus by now have done, has done lots of miracles. It's really clear. He's not your ordinary Nazarene. Uh, he's not your ordinary carpenter. He speaks with authority, and he does the works of God. The city was really stirred up. They were really sick of being oppressed by the Romans. It had been 400 years since a prophet had shown up on the scene. There were 400 years of silence between the last book of the Old Testament and, uh, and when Jesus showed up. 
as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Uh, and in Matthew, it tells us others spread palm leaves, thus uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, already on the way down, it come down the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Matthew adds, Hosanna to the Lord in the highest. Uh, those words, those words were words of the coming Messiah. The one they'd been waiting for since way back in Genesis. And the some of the Pharisees, not all of them, some of the Pharisees heard this and they, they were whispering to Jesus and keep those guys quiet. They, they don't even know what they're saying. And And Jesus answered. He loves even the Pharisees. You know, they're just religious snots. <laughs> like we can be. And he says, I tell you, if they were silent, even the stones would cry out. What's he mean by that? This is my hour to be revealed. And there's no holding back the truth. Amazing. The people, of course, uh, this was a confusing time. They just thought, this, was, this is like the second Moses. He's going to deliver us from Roman oppression. It's so exciting. We're so sick of these guys. And Jesus had a much bigger agenda. And it would cost him, it would mean him being crucified, dead, buried, and on the third day, rising up from the grave. And he appeared... Uh, to his own for 40 days and then ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father. But there was even a bigger agenda, an even greater agenda. I was looking at my water cup this morning in worship and I saw, I saw James's cup. Can you hold it up? It's like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, this is the Exodus. That's the first coming of Christ. But, but uh, you know, there's so much more coming. And, and it's in Revelation chapter 21. Uh, Jesus has made it very, very clear he's coming back. And the Apostle John is given this vision by God. And listen to what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, this is a punchline, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What's God's agenda? Way back in the beginning, our brother and sister Adam and Eve uh, fell into sin. They determined they had a better way than God's way. And sin entered the world and messed everything up in the universe. Everything. And God's agenda is this. I am going to do, this is God speaking, uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes to restore the universe to the way it's meant to be before sin messed up everything. That's a paraphrase. Uh, uh, he, his agenda is to restore all things, to make all things new. Everything. Wiping out misery and death and the awfulness of sin and everything it causes. That's his agenda. And the Exodus was a very important part of the strategy. Uh, God wanted to rescue those people because he loved them. Uh, but it was, it was like a precursor to everything that was, was to come. Now, what's this have to do with you? Well, friends, uh, I, I'm asking you, don't you want to be a part of this grand story? Do you see where God is taking this? Uh, if you know him, if you've surrendered your life to him, uh, don't you see how important you are to him? Uh, and he will do whatever it takes to make you into the beautiful person he intends you to be. And he wants you to be a kingdom worker for him. You, we get to play a role in his making all things new. He's got to come back because we can't do it on our own. He's got to come back uh, to get the job fully done. But our role now is not unimportant and insignificant. Uh, if you're here and don't yet know him, don't you hear him inviting you to come, come, let me write you into my story. Let let me, uh, he's into blended families. Let, let, come into my family. You feel like you don't belong. Uh, let me work on your heart and just draw you into the vortex of my love. I have life and hope 
and purpose and acceptance just waiting for you. Just make the step into me, into Jesus. And everything will change. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what an agenda. What an agenda. Uh, it's, not even, it's not easy to think about or talk about. It's so beyond what we can imagine. But Lord, we know this. You're a God of promises. You're a keeper of those promises. And simply because... You love us. You have drawn us in and made us significant participants in your work here on earth. Even asking us to pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're part of that. Lord, you put in us the, the longing for racial reconciliation. You put in us the longing for social justice. You put in us the, the longing. Even John Lennon in his song, Imagine There's No Heaven, he, he yearns for a time when people get along, when there's peace. You have placed in us the seeds of eternity and we long to be a part of something so much bigger than us. Oh, Lord, we cry out to you. Uh, come to us. Work in us. And we, as we await the day of your return, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.